I don't know if you've ever been asked the classic, normally icebreaker, Christian icebreaker question of, if you could meet anyone from the Bible, or like go for dinner with anyone from the Bible, who would you choose? If you haven't been asked that question, genuinely think about it, because it's quite an exciting one, because one day you will actually get to meet them, and that blows my mind, which is great. But whenever I get asked this question, nine times out of ten, my genuine answer is Daniel which is why I'm really excited about this series. Sometimes if I'm feeling a bit more wild or free-spirited, it'll be John the Baptist, but it's normally Daniel. Um, Because for me, I'd love to sit down with Daniel and simply ask, how did you remain so resilient and so faithful to God in such a difficult, complex time? Because Daniel is awesome, and we're going to spend the next few weeks looking at that and looking at the amazing example that he sets of how to be full of integrity and loyalty and faithfulness when it comes to following God. So we are going to kick off, uh, what better place to start, in Daniel 1. So if you do have your Bible and you want to read along, do, but I'm going to read this for us, and then we're going to spend a little bit of time unpacking it, because kind of as a bit of a disclaimer, Daniel is a bit weird in places. It's a weird and wonderful book. Um, You'll see that as we go on. Uh, But here we go, Daniel 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Another disclaimer, there's lots of names in the book of Daniel, so I'll try and make sure we all remember who is who. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service." Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, (laughs) it's a mouthful. To Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? Then the king would have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointing over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and he tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. 
So the guards took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. So there's a lot going on here, a lot of names, a lot of places, a lot of people. Um, I don't know about you, but I, like, I find it helpful to have a moment to just unpack what the story actually is and who is actually who. So rapid run through of what's going on here. The Israelites, the people of Judah, the people of Jerusalem, they're all the same people, lots of names used to talk about the same people. These were God's chosen people. These are the people who follow the same God that we follow. Uh, the people that God was wanting to bring in the promised land. Faithful people, also unfaithful people. They were renowned for being a bit up and down when it came to being faithful to God. They had a few good kings. They had many bad kings. They spent a lot of time worshipping false gods and then being like, oh, no, wait, we're getting it wrong. We should worship this god. And then they got it wrong again. And then they got it right again. And they got it wrong again. Um, and this was one of the times where they were getting it wrong. God was a bit annoyed with them. And so then we have this other place, this other city called Babylon, these guys are known for attacking lots of places, taking over lots of places. They liked the power. They liked to rule. So in comes King of Babylon, a.k.a. Nebuchadnezzar, comes over to Jerusalem, besieges it, gets rid of King Jehoiakim, king of God's chosen people over here, and they take over Jerusalem. And Nebuchadnezzar decides that he wants to take some of these Israelite guys, bring them over to Babylon, and raise them up, train them up to be some of his servants. Enter Daniel and the lads. Um, <laughs> stick with me here. It does all make sense after a while. <laughs> um, and so Daniel and the lads come in, and the first thing he does is decide, I'm going to change all of your names. And this is quite an important thing to any of us anyway. I feel like most of us like our names. Some of us choose to change our names. Most of us like our names. They carry a bit of meaning. They help identify who we are. In this time, names were like really, really important. There was a lot of meaning behind names. Names are very literal, like Jesus' name was Emmanuel, God is with us. Their name carried a lot of meaning. So imagine being taken from all you know and love and moved to this other city where you don't know the language, you don't know the place, and then the first thing that people do is say, I'm going to change your name, and you're not even going to be called what you're called anymore, and basically you're going to be a completely different person. And their names over here were names that honored God. And the names over here honored the false gods of Babylon. So it was, it was quite complex and a bit sad, but the, the guys went in. They didn't kick up a fuss at this point. Um, so they come in, and Neza's trying to call We'll call him Neza because it's just a, a bit shorter and easier. Also, we were doing this to the kids this morning, and we called him Neza in there, and I think it's just it's in my head, and it uh, rolls off the tongue a bit better. Um, so in they come, and change the name, and then they're told, here's all this food that you can eat. This is the food that we kind of prescribe you to eat every day. And this is where the problem comes in. Because, one, this is food that has been offered up to the false gods of Babylon. But also, in 
Jewish history, food practices are also a really, really important thing. There were lots of laws in the Old Testament about what foods the Jews could eat, what foods the Jews couldn't eat. The foods they shouldn't eat were foods that made them essentially sinful and dirty and distant from God. And so they took food practices really seriously. It was a way that they could honor God, a way that they could keep themselves clean. And so this is where Daniel's problem comes in. As he's been told, here's all the food you can eat. It's the kind of food that you would consider defiles you, but you need to eat it anyway. And Daniel says, no, thank you, <laughs> which is great. Um, and then we get this little guy come in, the royal official, whatever we want to call him, and he says, but please can you eat it, Daniel, because otherwise you're going to look more unhealthy and malnourished than the rest of them, and the king's going to notice that, and the king's going to execute me. So you need to eat all the king's food. And Daniel pleads with them and says, let's put it to the test. Let us eat vegetables, nothing but vegetables and water, for 10 days, and then, then you can cast your judgment. And then we know what happens, because God is good, and God always delivers. Um, then Daniel and his friends look much healthier and stronger and better than all the other men. Hallelujah. And even better than that, they also get given lots of gifts from the Lord, of knowledge and understanding, and Daniel can interpret visions and dreams. So it worked out really well for them. I wish the same had happened to me if I only ate vegetables. <laughs> um, maybe it will. Who knows? After today, we'll see. Um, and so basically, it goes well for them. The king's like, hooray, this is great. Everyone should do this. And actually, it ends up really well for Daniel and his friends because the king takes the liking to them the most above everyone else. So it was really awesome. And Daniel's bravery is there from the beginning of the whole of this story right through to the very end. And so with this series of Daniel that we're embarking on together, the lens that we're going to be exploring it through is, that, is one of bold integrity. Daniel is a beautiful example to us of how to be set apart, to be a faithful follower of God, a loyal disciple to Jesus in a world that isn't our own, with leaders and influencers that try and pull us in every and every direction, in a world that tells you, you have freedom of speech and that you should embrace the true you and be your true self, but if that true you is different to what is accepted as our truth, then you're actually a terrible person and we don't want you to be the true you. <laughs> And Daniel is a beautiful example of what it looks like to live in the world, but not be of the world. To respect the people, the leaders, and the places around him without bowing down to them, without compromising on the life that God calls him to. And Daniel was just a teen. This part blows my mind. The Hebrew word used in this passage for young men was one that refers to children and teenagers. Some scholars speculate that he was between 15 to 18 when he was taken to Babylon, which I take as both an encouragement as, and a challenge, because I don't think I was that brave and that courageous when I was 15. And so I just want to break this down for us into three things that we're going to look at together. The first is that Daniel chose God, and then Daniel denied himself. And then we're going to think about how do we do that? How do we choose God and deny ourselves in the year 2022. So Daniel chose God. I don't want to sound like a total kids pastor right now, but did you know that you have choices and you have the ability to make good choices? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, in all seriousness, <laughs> choices are an incredibly sacrificial gift given to us by God because God made this universe and made all of us 
And rather than saying, great, now I've brought all of this into being, and now I'm going to make all of these people do whatever I want to do, and essentially they're going to be my robots and live at my every command. Instead, he made us with the ability to have free will. Insert philosophical and theological debates elsewhere, not for today. <laughs> uh, but we're going to roll that. God gave us free will. <laughs> because God is a loving father. And the only way that he could show us that he truly loves us is to let us have the ability to truly choose him completely for ourselves, to love him out of our own choices rather than be forced to love him. So choices have been there from the start of humankind, and it was choices that led to the messy world that we now live in because Adam and Eve chose to let sin enter the world, which in turn has led to a life where making choices is actually quite a challenge. Like, I imagine in the garden, choosing to follow God was really lovely. When everything was perfect um, and joyful, it was probably quite an easy choice. But of course, I'm going to choose God. I'm going to walk with God in the garden, and how blissful. And now that one bad choice that was made has really messed up <laughs> the world that we live in. And here we are, many, many moons later, with the reality that actually quite now, like, it's not that easy to follow God. I'm going to go out there and say it. I don't think it's that easy to follow God. It's a daily choice that we now have to make with many little choices that we have to make over and over again in that one big daily choice. Choice, 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 choice. Is the word choice sounding weird? Yeah, I'm going to say choice a lot. <laughs> and you know what? As someone who's probably quite the most indecisive person you've ever met, if you're not convinced by that, ask Paddy, you can agree. <laughs> I sometimes get quite annoyed at God for giving us the ability to make choices because I find them incredibly overwhelming, including the choice to choose God. I just think, why have you given me this gift? I don't want it. You just need to make my decisions for me. But the reason I find that difficult is because it's costly, and I'm not always sure that I'm up for that. There was a boy, um, and I promise not all of my stories start like that, <laughs> and it's not Paddy, sorry. <laughs> There was a boy who, in my early years of university, I got introduced to by some friends from home. Um, and it's a classic case that like, they were trying to set me up with someone because they thought it was a bit weird that I didn't really date people, but I just wasn't really bothered. And so they took it upon themselves to try and set me up with this guy, classic. Um, and I realized after some time that they would invite us to the same parties, and they'd sit us at the same table, and they'd leave us alone at convenient moments, so we just left there to chat. And these occasions went on and on and on. I even got set up on a double date at one point, which was nice, but it just felt a bit awkward. Um, but after these occasions went on, I thought, you know what? This guy is actually pretty great. He's quite good looking. He's kind. We can chat a lot. He paid for my Indian, and food is the way to my heart, so he's off to a good start. <laughs> and then my friend who was trying to set us up would tell me about all the nice things he said about me and how he wanted to take me on a date, out, take me on, a date on his own and treat me well, blah, 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 blah. And in so many ways, I was dying to say yes, because I wasn't really enjoying being single at the time, and I really liked him, and I really liked being liked. But I had this pit in my stomach and this, this knot, this horrible feeling, because this guy didn't know Jesus. And for me, that was like a bit of a non-negotiable, because I couldn't really get my head around not being able to share the most important thing in my life with the other person who would then become the next important thing in my life. And I was so angry at God for that. I wrestled with him for a while and to be like, God, why can't I go out with him? Why can't I just have what I want? This is so annoying. And in his still small voice, he said, you can. 
Emily, you have a choice, and if you want to, you can. And I was relaying all of this to a great friend of mine, and she shared the most incredibly helpful picture that God had given her just a few weeks before about the very same issue. And he showed her a picture of her stood on a grass patch in like a fenced-off area of a field. And he said to her, you do have the choice. If you want to go for this, you really can. But I want you to know that you will only get to enjoy this little patch of grass. But if you trust me to provide what you really want, then you can have so much more. You can have everything beyond this little fenced area. And I really believe that Daniel knew this about God's ways, that we can make choices that won't necessarily destroy us, but also that won't draw us closer to God or make us more like him. Daniel probably wouldn't have gone up in flames for eating from the king's table, but deep in his soul, he knew it wasn't the table he wanted to eat from. He knew there was a different king's table that was far greater, far mightier, and way more life-bringing than the one being presented to him. And so he said, no, thank you. And even though at the time, when looking at his king's table, all he could see was vegetables, he still chose God and trusted that God wouldn't fail him. And it's not, it's not that we have to, it's that we get to. It's not that we have to make all godly choices, but it's that we get the honor of making them. We get the joy of choosing God over everything and everyone else over and over and over again. I was challenged by a friend a few months ago, maybe I'll challenge you guys with the same thing today, she challenged me to get up every morning and declare out loud that today I choose God and I choose to live for his kingdom alone. Because the reality is we're faced with a ridiculous amount of decisions to make every day. And we can massively help ourselves out by starting that day with declaring who we want to make those decisions for. Because the only choices we actually have to choose is we either choose God and his kingdom or we choose the world, the flesh, and the devil. And Daniel chose God, and so can we. And in choosing God, Daniel also denied himself. That's our second thing. Daniel didn't just choose God when it was easy. Wouldn't that be lovely? He was willing to be costly. He didn't actually know if eating solely vegetables was going to make him healthier, but he trusted God and showed that he was willing to deny himself, to deny himself what he may well have wanted more, to do things in a way that honored God instead. Like, I find it quite interesting that he chose not to really kick up a fuss about their names being changed, which he totally would have been in his right to do. But instead, he really put the focus on not wanting to defile himself before God, and so chooses this really sacrificial thing to do instead, to make a stand. And really, the sweet thing is, is that Daniel is just a tiny foretaste of what we're soon to see in Jesus. The almighty son of God who gave up everything to come to earth in the mess for us. He could have easily chosen all the, the easy moments to choose God. Where he can like talk the talk and perform on the Stasi miracles and do things that weren't really that costly. But what's powerful about Jesus is that he chose God in the moments that were costly. Where he had to deny himself where he had to let people arrest him and beat him and kill him because he loves us that much and trusted that, that, that God's ways are best. 
And if the King Jesus can do that for us, it's only right that we're called to do that in return. He teaches us that to love him and others well, we must take up our cross and deny ourselves. And as much as that sounds scary and a bit commanding in some ways, it's actually the most beautiful and loving thing that we can do. Our lives belong to Jesus because he gave his up for ours first. And it's genuinely the least we can do to love him in return. And what's way better for us is that God calls us to deny ourselves for a life that's way better than the one that we would have chosen for ourselves anyway. So it's really a win-win situation. <laughs> and, and we may not see the full goodness of that in the life that we currently live, but God promises us an eternal life of complete goodness. And we see that in Daniel. God went above and beyond to honor Daniel and his friends for the sacrifice they made. And please do not misinterpret me here. I'm not saying we should sacrifice things so that God will do good stuff for us in return. That's not very loving at all. That's quite selfish. It's about loving and trusting God so much so that we choose his ways even if they're costly. And then we put a full stop for there for us. That's why we do it, full stop. But in all of that, we remember that we follow a God who loves to bless and honor and gift. And so often, he will honor the sacrifices we make with the promise of an even better life. And not only did Daniel and the lads look healthier, but God gifted them with heavenly goodness as well, heavenly gifts. And he did that not just so they could be more impressive to the people that were around them, but so that they could be closer to God, so they could understand him more and help interpret things for other people. They could be used for the goodness of his kingdom. The blessings we receive should always go on to bless far more than just us. God wouldn't honor our sacrifices with blessings that help us to be more independent and need God less. His outpourings of kindness should always draw us closer to him and more and more into a posture of continual worship. It would have taken immense integrity and probably immense self-control for Daniel and his friends to say no to all of that food. Like, I find it hard to say no to a biscuit, let alone a banquet, you know? But look at the difference that made. Daniel and his friends went on to be Nezah's favorites. And actually, in some of the stories we see later on, that, like, Nebuchadnezzar loves their stand so much that at some point he's like, cool, everyone should publicly worship your God because he sounds really great. It had amazing, amazing consequences. We live in a world that almost condemns self-control now. Because why should we? Like, if we can have what we want now, then let's have it. And we live in a world that lacks integrity because everyone is busy trying to please everyone else to the extent that it's all become fluffy and fickle and flaky. Nothing lasts, nothing sticks, nothing stands out. But we can stand out for Jesus, just like we're meant to. Set apart, not of this world, signposts to something better. What are we risking by choosing the comfort or ease of the world? And so we're just going to land by thinking about how do we choose God and deny ourselves in this day and age? 